Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm your host, Kurt Flagel, and this show is going to be very special because Chris Wolwind, our former co-host, is back as our special guest. And our subject today is very important. We're talking about not what we do, but why we do the things we do. Are we living our lives from a place of pride or love? When we live out of pride, we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. So this is the beauty of Life Hurts, God Heals. God wants to expose these things so that he can lead us into deeper healing for our benefit and for the benefit of others. This is what we're talking about today. Let's get right into it with Chris Wolwind. Chris, welcome back. Good to be back. Well, you are uh, actually fulfilling a prediction that one day we would have Chris back on as a guest. And so apparently I haven't driven you completely screaming into the night, so that's good to know. Not yet. (laughs) Not yet. Maybe after this one. (laughs) Maybe after this one. (laughs) Chris, what's, what's going on in your life right now? Okay. What God? What is God doing? What is God doing? Well, I got to visit uh, my kids and grandkids, some of them, in Alabama in the middle of July, and that was a blessing. A divorce that was in the making was finalized after ten years of separation, and mm. my my uh, wife uh, filed those divorce papers. I said yes, and I was grateful that in the 10 years, God had prepared my heart to do that, Mm. to let go. And, uh, you know, when you first go through and jump into that uh, wilderness, you don't think there could be any good. But I can honestly say God has brought me to great plateaus in Mm. my walk with him that I always wonder if I would have ever discovered had I had I not gone through Mm. the wilderness so I'm grateful for the wilderness I I can't even believe that I'm saying that but I'm grateful for the wilderness it's kind of like uh, if you haven't heard of the the woman named Fanny Crosby Fanny Crosby was a famous hymn writer a large portion of the hymns in any hymn book around the world come from her pen, really? her heart. And Fanny Crosby became blind around the age of three months. She had developed a infection in her eyes as an infant, or in fact, in one of her eyes, I think. And people didn't really know what to do, but they they it was thought that a mustard salve or you know some kind of mustard ointment would do the trick and what it really did is it gave her blindness in both eyes in both eyes and so so she wrote 8000 songs wow and she was the first woman to actually lobby in the United States Congress for schools for the blind she was the first woman to even bring a lobby effort and speak to Congress. And as a result, there are not only schools for the blind all across America, but across the world. You know, 
because of her efforts. I recall something uh, that she said in an interview when she was not quite 90 years old, and the interviewer asked her if, if she ever regretted being blind, and her answer was classic. It was something to the effect, if I were not blind, I would never have seen Jesus. Mm. And it's interesting when you look at her songs. I think there's probably 40, 40 to 50 songs that, that most people in my generation are, or older would be familiar with that she's written. And in almost all of those songs, there is some kind of visual symbolism or imagery that she purposely puts in there about either seeing and knowing. Because it's a seeing from the heart. And the reason I reference that is because it was through the difficulty of blindness that actually intensified her relationship with God. And I see that in my own life. The, the intensity of my own personal wilderness has brought an intensity to my relationship with God that I think in retrospect... Certainly, God could have brought about that intensity if my wife and I had stayed together. But it would have taken a different path. And I don't know that I would have developed as much dependence upon him, as much perhaps even hunger for him. And certainly, everybody's wilderness is relative. That is, mine isn't more severe than anyone else's. It is what God kind of drew, drew us through, drew us in. So I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. And uh, I know you and I, we've talked about our individual wilderness journeys. And I don't know that I wanted to spend so much time, because um, that, that was, I, I did a lot of sharing about that as host and oh, co-host yeah. of Life Hurts, God Heals. So I don't know that I need to to reflect so much on those lessons learned. But where I am now is, and it's kind of stunning to me, I recall uh, to some extent the life of Martin Luther. Some reference to a statement uh, where he says that the, the closer he gets to God, the more that is revealed about what is wrong in his own life. Mm. <laughs> The closer you get to God, there's less deception. And I see that. There are things that I didn't recognize were issues in my life until you get close to the fire <laughs> or the light of his presence, the extreme glory of his presence. And then you just, you begin to see just how filthy your spirit is. What I mean to say by how filthy, as filthy rags is, is because when the light isn't there, it looks pretty clean. <laughs> in the dark or in the gray or in the, you know, you're going, wow, I'm doing really well. And then God peels away a layer with his glory and you go, oh. And part of it is a, you know, in the beginning you go, oh yeah, it's that little detail. 
and that little detail becomes a big detail. And, and because you, and the reason it becomes a big detail in your life is how difficult it is to remove. It's like a splinter. I, I had a, a fiberglass splinter in my, in my finger just a few days ago. Mm. I was using a fiberglass rake. And uh, I knew I shouldn't be using it without gloves. But I thought, oh, just a little while. And sure enough, I got one of those fiberglass splinters. And the problem with a fiberglass splinter is that you can't see it. And I have a magnifying glass and, and so forth. With a magnifying glass and tweezers, I can remove anything. I couldn't find this thing. So essentially, I just did a great big stab. I just stabbed at it. That was really there, even though with my magnifying glass, I couldn't even see it. Mm. And, and that's kind of like when I talk about, when I mentioned this splinter of a problem. It's small, but you don't know how, how significant it is until you try to remove it. And then, <laughs> and then you're going, wow, this is a big deal. And if you don't get it removed, it just, it begins to turn red. It hurts. You wait till the next day. And then it's dominating your whole thought. And when you look at it, you go, well, that's not really a big sin. Yeah. It's not really a big attitude issue. But God is saying, I don't want it there. It can't be there. And then when you try to you go, boy, this this is tough. It's a, it's got a big root <laughs> in it, you know. So so that that's where I had been really, I would say, the last year is um, these little splinters that you get so busy with ministry and with life and family and that you that those splinters aren't revealed until or and maybe splinters these little things are not revealed till you get into a, a closer relationship with God and then you start working on different techniques right maybe that's the best way uh, to think about it well I won't do this I'll stay away from this or I need to think about it like this and I develop a, a certain diagram in my head or a certain image in my head to deal with that. And, and it's amazing because, you know, my, my particular personality is one that operates in images, in mm. symbols. I kind of think of myself in the same way that I think John the, the Apostle was great with images, you know. Luke wasn't, but John was like this artist, you know, and he saw he saw great meaning in pictures, and I think that's that's kind of where I lean. So I'm grateful when God gives me a diagram of some sort, a picture to help me process, mm. because I really want to be pure before the Lord. There's freedom in that. But I don't want to be legalistic and dogmatic because if I get legalistic about things, I know that leads to death and destruction. You right. know, it's more of a destruction of, of my identity. And you can get involved in all kinds of shame and guilt uh, if you get legalistic about these things. And, and this is why, you know, is it Romans 8.1? There is therefore now no condemnation. Mm -hmm. And when you can embrace the concept of no condemnation as a 
a license to be the child of God. That means that that uh, you your sin cannot remove you out of a connection with the Father. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, that, I, I mean the the whole chapter before that in chapter seven of Paul's letter to the Romans is him saying, I don't do what I want to do. Yeah. But what I what I don't want to do, that's actually what I do. And what a wretched man I am. And that flows all that struggle and frustration with the splinters as you're talking about flows right into yeah. Romans eight one. But yeah. now there is no condemnation yeah. for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I see a parallel between the deep sensitivity and rawness of seeing our stuff for what it is in the light. Mm -hmm. There's a great frustration with that. There's a great sense of struggle and weariness and despair that can come into that. And, and yet in that place of really seeing those things, even the smallest things as, as frustrating and difficult things that we want to put down but we can't get to it as small as it is we can't find it and it creates this great the smallest thing creates great frustration and being vulnerable to that the idea of of growing to understand and see it acknowledge it mm -hmm. creates a sensitivity to also seeing that there is no condemnation in christ that there is grace and mercy in deeper ways. And so when we're talking about these things from what you've experienced, how has moving towards a divorce helped you see the splinters for what they are in you? And how has that helped you see and experience God's grace in, in greater ways? Well, the, the answer to the first question is as you see more of what you're really like in God's light, then you more accurately assess your history, your past. And you can accurately assess it with grace. That is to say... I didn't know that I had these little things in my life. I didn't see them. I was blind to them. Then God sheds his light and you go, oh, yeah, I probably could have been more of this or more of that. I could have done more. And the reason I tack on grace is because that was then. Mm. It's not that it's acceptable. It's just understood. Mm. I can understand my past rather than condemn myself yeah. for what I did or didn't do. Do you have some like specific things that you're looking back and seeing uh -huh. in a different light uh -huh. that you wouldn't mind sharing? Um, I can share uh, a number of things. I don't think I really was in tune with the rhythms, the needs 
of my wife and my kids. Just don't think I was there the way I could have been. They all tell me, oh, what a great dad. Oh, what a great husband. But I also know that they struggle in their relationship with God. And they struggle specifically with pride. And I had to do a square look at me in the arena of pride. Pride is very deceptive. It's far more diabolical than what Webster's Dictionary will tell you. Because pride is so woven into our sinful nature. For most of my life, I recognized that I tried to do my relationship with God by way of my sinful nature. But in that time, I didn't recognize it. It was too nuanced because I'm always looking at pride from, you know, the great contrast of pride and humility, ego and serving and love, you know, those big categories. But pride is far more nuanced and woven into the fabric of our identity than I think we often realize. In fact, I, I've seen the progress of genuine humility developing in me. I've always wanted humility, but you know that running joke, the moment you think you got it, you've lost it, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. I've always wanted sincere, authentic, not even thinking about it, humility. There's that quip about, you know, if you don't humble yourself, God will humiliate you. <laughs> and I never wanted to be humiliated. But at the same time, I didn't know really how to humble myself. I knew how to humble myself visually in front of someone, perceptively taking the lower ground. I can do all that. But from my heart, to do it without thinking, to let it be my default position, that is something that eluded me. And part of it is my Woolwind DNA, my family of origin, and my heritage as a son of Adam. Mm -hmm. It's all of that. What I've been playing around with recently in the last, I would say, five weeks or six weeks, and it's kind of a, a little journey. <laughs> and actually, if you can connect to this authentic humility, my sense is, even though I feel like I'm an infant in it, my sense or sensibility of this is that it not only goes hand in hand with love and joy and contentment and peace, and a full reliance with God, but it it's actually the motivation. Without it being a motivation, there, there's an energy in authentic humility where if you can realize for a moment that you are washing someone's feet and you're doing it not just from a stance of humility, but a stance out of sincere love, it's like the love and the humility are like hand in glove. I mean, you can't do one without the other. So for me to be truly loving actually means I have to be authentically humble. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not, then I have to question, well, what are my motives in doing this love thing? 
for someone. And, th and that's why it, it's interesting. It gets me to this word that only has gripped me the last, like I said, five weeks or so. And it's called possessiveness or a self-possessiveness. And it's amazing when I extrapolate all the meanings and applications of that word in my life. You know, there can be a possessiveness of things. In other words, I have to have these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. can be a, a possessiveness of the need to be important or the need to be productive or producing. Now, this is going to be kind of hard to explain, this possessiveness. Do, do you remember the old illustration where, you know, among, among ministers, or if you're in management, you know, if you're an administrator, it's, it's those kinds of things. We sometimes feel like we're spinning so many plates, and so you just go around and you keep spinning all these plates, you know. And then the question is, is God asking you to spin all these plates? <laughs> and is that really what your life is all about? Because in church, you care about all of these things, and you don't want those plates to drop, because a dropped plate means you're going to get a phone call <laughs> from some irate individual or parent or something, you know? Why did you let that plate fall? <laughs> and so um, when I looked at my life, it wasn't so much plates. In my view, it was projects. And it was amazing. You know, when I pictured my life as a series of projects, I had each of my children was something I'm working on. Mm. My wife is someone I'm working with working on you know how to love her better how to do things together how to romance her that's a project my leadership in churches that's a project my the the, the worship of the church that's a pro all of these projects outreaches those were projects and then i realized that god was a project he was one of those plates and the reason i use project is because i have this picture of my dad in his garage uh, one of his hobbies was a custom framer, but he was also a sculptor. And the, the garage was a place where he had many projects that he was working on. That's what a, a guy does in the garage. He's got <laughs> lots of projects. And if he doesn't have a garage, he's got an office or a man cave or something. In my case, a nerd cave. A nerd cave, <laughs> yeah, where you're doing all these projects. And it's interesting that I got to this word project and possessiveness because I was getting a little frustrated in my, in my walk with God the last three months or so. Not frustrated at God, frustrated at me and frustrated with um, not my lack of growth, but how often the fleshly nature, the habits of the fleshly nature, that pride of how to do life permeated all of these projects. And it affected my emotions. And that kind of confused a lot of things, the feelings and the emotions, because it was, I was getting to a place where I began to question, well, what am I here for? And this is so odd. <laughs> you know, God, what do you want me to do? I know I'm doing ministry at an assisted living. Um, I know I'm doing writing. I know I'm doing music. I know I'm, I'm doing all these projects. And yet it, it's becoming very empty 
not fulfilling. Mm. I possess all of these projects. I go from project to project to project. This is not fulfilling. I'm not designed. I don't feel like I'm designed for this, which is interesting because everybody would say I am. <laughs> Because I am a good organizer. I got my master's degree in administration. I, I organize things into projects. And I found that sometimes in retrospect of my relationships, I loved them, but they were projects. Yeah. And, and my, my life was filled with boxes. And I saw this garage <laughs> full of these projects. And I started to not like to go into the garage and I, I asked the Lord what is it that I don't like about this garage and I realized that my answer is because I'm doing all those projects in pride hmm. something to be done something to be accomplished something to do well and the great need for there to be feedback from others well that's not very humble is it that I need that feedback. And it's like, wow, Lord, it's interesting that I'm single. <laughs> My children are all grown. They all live far away from me. And I'm in this, and I'm working with seniors where I can't really develop deep friendships with them because then other seniors get jealous. Oh, wow. So I have to, I have to, play fair <laughs> with all the wow. residents because of jealousies wow. and things that develop. I'm spending too much time with this person or that person. So I have to I have to in a sense keep those relationships loving and friendly but at bay. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And then the people I work with, they're all women. And they're all younger women. I have to be careful around them. I don't really have the opportunity to develop some close friendships. You know, that it, it, it's just interesting where I'm at in this place of life. So what I see? Yeah. We talked about projects and possessions. And then you talked about how, the relationships, right? That developing relationships. You talked about over here, the projects is not being fulfilling. But also over here on the other side, the relationships that could be developed can't be, and that's not fulfilling either. And what struck me, what struck me was Jesus' words. When you lose your life, you gain it. And those who hold on to it, lose it. And the idea is holy detachment, holding on to the relationship with God and nothing else. Mm -hmm. For God himself, right? Here, here's the idea of holy detachment. God is whole within himself. He lacks nothing. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect community with each other, giving themselves fully away to the other and receiving from the other fully. So they need nothing else. They are whole and complete. The idea of shalom, of wholeness and peace, is who God is. And out of that overflow, he gives to humanity without expecting one thing in return. He expects nothing. He gives only because he is love. He is 
complete within himself, and, it, and all that he gives overflows out of that. There's nothing to be gained from God's end. We can't really fulfill him because he is already fulfilled. And so as we move into the nature of God more and more, we find that all these other things aren't fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And, and when we try to possess them, when we try to do things for people, most of the time we're doing it to gain something in return. Exactly. Pay it forward yes. or whatever. Yes, to gain something in return. And God's like, then you're not living out of the fullness Correct. of my love for you. Because when you are living when you are receiving the fullness of, of my love for you, you can hold on to that and nothing else. And then you can love other people more and more mm-hmm. out of that completeness. Even though I am incomplete in myself, I can be overwhelmed as I receive God's love. I'm overwhelmed by the completeness of who he is. Mm-hmm. And now I can move and operate out of that place, the overflow of that place in other people's life without needing anything in return. Mm-hmm. Now I can give and serve them and give myself away to them in deeper ways without needing anything. Mm-hmm. Pride is the place where we have to dictate the terms, where we have to say, I do this, you give me this, it's transactional. Pride is, is the state of being where I am doing everything with a calculation of what I will get in return, and I am yeah. planning everything yes. for my benefit. That's the project. Right. <laughs> and... And you know what the fruit of pride is? Insecurity. Victim mentality. Mm-hmm. We see this with the enemy. He is, the, he is the, the victim. Everything is God's fault. And he is always constantly insecure. Yeah. The opposite right. is that what you said earlier when you talked about love and humility. There is this place of incredible fullness. Yes. When we realize and acknowledge that we are poor, we have to just receive. And so when we come to a place of humility, we come to a place of receptivity and sensitivity to receive what God has for us. And then we can live out of that overflow. And so that's what fulfills us, is actually letting go of everything but being with God. The doing, the doing, the doing does not ever supersede the being. Correct. Correct. And there's a connection to this doing and being that actually has kind of reoriented me on my garage. And I, I can't even remember how I got to this phase. So it just must be the Holy Spirit. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was something along the line of, of God impressing me to shut the garage, lock it down. And don't do life through the garage. Just that whole project orient, orientation. Because the, the flesh had basically, in my mind, my sinful nature had permeated everything so much that even as a born-again individual, I picture my house. There's the picture. I picture my house. And the house is divided with the garage and then the place where God lives with me. Okay, The rest yeah. of the house. And then there's the garage. And then I had this picture in my mind that the garage is where 
when people would come to my home, they see my garage. I entertain them from my garage, much like when I came to your house. Especially now. (laughs) (laughs) I realized in, in some way, shape, or form that I did all my life through the garage. I was doing life from the familiar, and the familiar was my garage. Even though it was familiar, it was less and less fulfilling. Yes. Okay. The, f- the familiar was no longer a secure place in my pursuit of God. And so I would make great efforts. I've been doing this for a year. Make great efforts to be in God's living room, in God's space, and be out in God's backyard and, in, and enjoying new things. But the problem was, was that I still had the memories of the garage and I would wander into the garage. Mm-hmm. Recently, God just impressed upon me, I need you to lock the garage. Lock it down. Uh, visitors to your home are no longer allowed and you're not allowed. And the light is not allowed to be on. My whole life is the garage. And I kind of argued with God. Well, God, how do I do this? this my whole history my shelves, my metal shelves are full of history. Good and bad. And God's response was instantaneous. Remember the good that's in the garage. Just remember it. But it's not real anymore. Hmm. It's done. It's, it's a memory. Remember the good. Don't remember the bad. But don't dwell. Don't even go in there. So then I picture myself in God's living room, which is my heart, my born-again heart. Well, now what am I supposed to do? And I pictured God taking me to the back of the house, to the back porch, and he says, look at this horizon and this vista. I want you to go with me every day, and we're going to go hiking. We're just going to go do life every day. We're going to create life, but you're going to go with me and I'm going to go with you. And so I was then playing in my mind. So how does this work at the assisted living? Each day, I want you to treat everybody the way I treated you. Wash their feet, love them. Don't treat them like a project. Did I treat you like a project? No. Right. And so what it was for me was the journey. In other words, the daily journey suddenly had lots of love, lots of contentment, and actually allowing God to introduce new things in my life. New visions, new, not projects, although I could view them as projects. Experiences. Experiences. Uh, I'm always leery of the word existentialism, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But I think there is a spiritual use for that word. That is to be present daily with Christ. Yeah. And that he's, he's actually with you. You're not living in the living room. You're actually leaving the house. And then at night, when you go to bed, okay, time to come back to the house. Let's, let's get a good night's sleep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this whole thing change has, has 
has been radically changing my my view. It's like a new paradigm for me. And the garage is still attached to my house. And in many respects, it's like the gar it's like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's in the garden and it will always be there mm -hmm. until yeah, until it's not. But God is the one who removes the garage. But for now, that nature is attached to me. And I can shut the door. I, I have to keep that door shut. Now, does it mean that I, I have old habits? Yeah, I still have old habits. But when I'm on the journey, trying to do life with God, it's amazing that the splinters, the little things, God says, deal with it now. You have a rock in your shoe? Okay, you're not going to get very far today. Yeah. Let's stop. Uh, let me untie the shoe. Let's take the rock out of the Awareness, shoe. Awareness. Yes. Acknowledgement and asking God to take exactly. care of it. And doing it today. Right now. Today is the day that that has to be done. Okay? Yeah. All right. Yep. That That's where I'm at today. Yeah, well, here's... That's all really I have to say. No, but the, here's what I see. Here's what I see in that. So the, this is really what is this is about is being versus doing. Which comes first? So the garage was your doing, your place of doing. And you brought everyone into your life through the doing. And look at, see what, see, and to see what yeah. I'm doing. Yes. Which and then, is a little egoish, a well, prideish there. Well, yeah, for all of you us. Know? Yeah. Because that's, that's where it develops, right? What Affirmation. Comes, right. Yeah. What comes first, being or doing, right? In the Garden of Eden, the knowledge of the, of the tree of good and evil was us saying, yes, we're going to make the decisions for ourselves of what's good and evil, and we're going to decide what we have to do. When God was all over here saying, why don't you just be with me? And then out of that place, I will lead you in the moment for each step along the way. But we were like, no, we want to know. We want to have the knowledge beyond this moment, and we want to live beyond what is ours, and that's pride. The past and the future are not ours. They are God's. All we have is the present. Mm -hmm. And then came the burden of all of that that we can't handle, which Correct. was crushing. Yeah. And so the way we tried to work it all out to make it work for us was do, 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 do. The garage represents the idea of how we live from a place of doing. Mm -hmm. We've mutated in the Garden of Eden, when we fell from human beings to human doings. And God has always been moving us back to who we really are, mm -hmm. right? right? And so what we do is we take people into the living room, into God's presence through the garage. So we try to get to the living, the being, through the doing. And we always think that we're cleaning our life by organizing our garage. <laughs> yeah. But God, organizing our, our life is not the kind of cleaning that God is after at all. No. And God's like, shut the garage. Close it off. I want you to live out in the backyard in the vista of yeah. being with me. Sit out there. Yeah. Go for a hike and walk with me. God's invitation is like, let's start with being. And then we'll get to the doing each and every moment of the day. You'll be so close to me that you'll be sensitive to see what I'm doing with you and, and then where I am around you. And where I am, the more you can be with me, the more sensitive you will be to see me mm -hmm. 
in your daily living. And where you see where I am, you will go be with me in the work I'm already doing. You'll go join me in the work I'm already doing. And here's the verse that really makes it clear for us if we really paid attention to it. Ephesians 4.10. Mm-hmm. You're God's masterpiece. Mm-hmm. His poema. His poema that he enjoys and he adores. And like I said this just recently, people pay money to go to the Louvre and just stare at paintings. To look at these masterpieces of art. God's like, Chris Moment. There is no piece of art in this universe. In fact, all of them put together don't stack up to you. And all day long, I am staring at you, adoring you, studying you, not to figure things out, but just to soak it all in. And that's the being. And when we start there, then you will see that you were created to do good works. You're God's masterpiece. Created to do good works. You're not created to do good works so you can get to be God's masterpiece. And once you're aware of that, it lo- at first you're just overwhelmed with yourself. And then God says, no, you're a new creation. Yeah. So let me show you how to do this. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to do it for the next seven days, and we're not going to do it for the next month. We're just going to do it for today. Mm-hmm. Just today. Just In the moment. these moments. Because that's all we have. So on your drive into work, we're doing it. You're doing this with me. We're driving together. We're in your office together. You're creating Bible studies with me together. Mm-hmm. When you're out with the folks together. And the real challenge was when I would get home, what do I do? That has changed everything. Because usually as older adults, we get into these habits. Mm -hmm. And these habits are security. You don't have to think about it. You just do. Fix yourself a meal. You know, what are you going to throw on the TV? What are you going to catch up on news? Mm-hmm. What what are you going to do? Well, that has changed. And so when I walk in the door, I kind of I kind of go, okay, well, Lord, what do we do? Yeah. Now. And uh, I mean, I've got things that I believe God wants me to do spiritually whether it's writing or project you know different (laughs) projects i gotta get that word project different things that he wants me to do but i'm not sure he wants me to do them that day right or in that moment yeah or maybe for a whole month Mm -hmm. and so it's a matter of actually not asking permission it's uh it's about so what what do you think is best lord where are you? Yeah. It's back to the where Where are you working right now? Yeah. And God is also working not only to work through us, but he works to give us rest and fulfill us. Yeah. Right. And so even in that, even when we're asking God, where are you working? Even on a Sabbath day, yeah. when we're asking God, where are you working? The question is still the same, but the expectation is different. Yeah. Now, where are you working to give me rest today? 
Now, again, it, it, this is where the pride wants to determine that for the, itself, right? It wants The ego wants to figure that out. That's why the word to me really that helps describe pride for me is self-reliance. I have to figure that out. What am I going to do on my day off? What am I going to do yeah. on my day of work? What it's am kind I, of the same as possessiveness. It Self, is. Self-possessiveness. Right, it is. Yeah. I'm going, I possess I my, possess me. my, I possess my life. Yes. Yeah. And God's like, and this is back to what I said earlier, where Jesus said to gain one's life is to lose it, to give up your rights. And what you find is you gain it yeah. because what you've always been after is all the fullness of God. And this is where he lives. He lives in the realm of self-sacrifice and vulnerability. This is where, this is God's realm. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I willingly give it up. Mm -hmm. He was not, he never, he was crucified on a cross, but he was never a victim. The one crucifying him behind the scenes, the enemy was the victim. Mm -hmm. Trying to grasp for things yeah. rather than receive. Mm -hmm. And that's where, when you go into the house, now, it starts again with awareness. Aware of, I don't know I'm not in charge of this, and I don't know really what's going to fulfill me right now. So it's the awareness that God is God, and I am not God, and he is here. We're acknowledging that he is here doing what's best for me. Yeah. And now, out of that awareness of who God is and who I am in this, I ask. I acknowledge first, so I'm aware. Mm -hmm. Then I acknowledge, God, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. What is it? Where are you in this? And that's the asking part. So the awareness, the acknowledgement, and the asking are the place of humility to see where God is working. And when he reveals himself, which he surely will when we do those things, we gain the fulfillment of seeing, of being in God's presence. Mm -hmm. And it just keeps coming back to Moses before the burning bush. And God said, take off your sandals, mm -hmm. the things that, cushion you from really feeling the honesty of this moment and the dangerousness or whatever, the vulnerability of this moment. You need to feel this fully, right? And the intensity of those feelings, you said this earlier, the more intensely things ha happened and the more intensely you felt them, the more you intensely felt and sensed God's presence. And so when we put ourselves in a vulnerable place, when we are raw with our emotions, raw with our, our thinking, we realize, oh, this is how self-reliant I am in my thinking, my prideful thinking all the time. I'm not praying most of the time. I'm trying to figure things out. Yeah. And so when I become aware, when I become vulnerable to that place of, oh my goodness, how much I try to figure this out, how much... I feel anxiety and, and worry is because that is pointing to the fact I'm still on the throne of my heart judging God as not enough for me. Do not judge or you will be judged. Do not condemn or you will be condemned. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. I used to think of that in terms of people. And God told me two weeks ago, no, Kurt, this is our relationship. So whenever you're, you worry, whenever you get anxious, whenever you're fearful or ashamed and you just bury that, that is judgment against me. Rather than bringing it to me, 
when you just try to cope with it on your own and escape it or figure it out, find a way. Turn it into a project. Yeah, find a way to escape that. That's all coping mechanisms. Well, at the bottom of that is an indictment against me. You're indicting me. You're judging me as not enough to take care of that for you. And that is pride. And that is self-reliance. And so bring it to me. Here's the act of humility. Become aware of where you're keeping me out. Here's where we often use the scripture in Revelation where it says, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And whoever will let me in, I will eat with them and they will eat with me. And we often use that for those of us who are Christ followers to tell other people who are not following Jesus about the invitation. But yet, if you go back up just a few verses, what it says clearly is, is Jesus, is the Spirit telling John to write this down for the churches. And we're the ones who, though we know Jesus, who still live out of the garage and figure it out and how to do it on our own without letting him in. And he's sitting there knocking at the door of the garage. Will you just let me in? And then what I'll do is if you'll let me in, I'll lead you out of this place and into the backyard. Nice, beautiful hikes. Into the vista, (laughs) right? Right. Into the vista. And so that's really what this is about is the whole journey is becoming aware Mm -hmm. of the places where we are not being vulnerable to feel deeply you know, our the, stuff. The recent illustration uh, that came to me, uh, it's not, well, it's, the, it's, it's a passage in the Bible two days ago. And so I've been dwelling on this and taught a little bit about it uh, today even. Was the passage where Jesus washes the feet of the mm-hmm. disciples and, and uh, we've been doing a devotion on Peter and all the many wonderful aspects of Peter. But the part where Peter doesn't want to be washed and he says to the lord no (laughs) no and how clear how clear and pronounced that no is and jesus says if you don't let me wash then you can have no part of me yeah and as i've been thinking about that scrutinizing that passage and applying it to me, I, I recognize that at a number of different levels, Jesus is saying, this is the way heaven's going to be. Where we wash the feet of those who believe they are below us. Yeah. That's, that's crucial. Oftentimes we think, well, I'm going to wash the feet of a fellow believer. Or even wash the feet of a neighbor. But Jesus emphasizes the role of master and slave. And, and I'm recognizing, wow, on this journey, uh, the vistas, God is actually wanting us to participate in washing the feet of those who believe they shouldn't have their feet washed. I think Peter was expressing what all the disciples felt. This is improper. You're the Messiah. You're not supposed to be washing my feet. I'm supposed to be washing your feet. Mm-hmm. But that's, and Jesus says, I am your master and I am your teacher. 
and a slave will never be above the master. But you must do as I'm doing to you in order to be a part of me, in order to be washed. And in my brain, I'm going, washed of what? Pride. Yeah, because washed. he had to receive it first. Yes. But he was resisting yeah. Jesus ministering to him. Yeah. To close this out, actually, I'm going to share a vision that I shared with you before. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that was the vision a year ago. It's literally a year ago where I was reading that in John 13 where Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. And I saw him, a vision of him at my feet, washing my feet with his hand out reaching to me with this just, he didn't say anything. He just had this incredible, not even a smile on his face necessarily, but it was an incredible smile in his eyes. And in that smile, with that handout, I saw an invitation. Come down here with me. Come down here where I am. Again, where he already was, washing my feet. Come down here with me where I, in this place yeah. Of, yeah. of serving. And in that, I mean, seeing the winsomeness of his love in those eyes, how can you say no? Mm -hmm. I grabbed his hand and, and came down to that lower place where he was to wash other people's feet. And in an instant, I looked down and he was at my feet again, washing my feet. And he said, you'll never get, you'll, you'll never get lower than me. Mm -hmm. I'm not above you, judging you, pointing fingers at you. I am yeah. at your feet, washing right. your feet. Right. That's where I am. And when you ask me in the day, where are you, God? And I show you, you're going to find me mm -hmm. serving you. That's great. And, and if you will see me where I am, come with me be with me, not do things for me, but come be with me. Yes. Then we'll serve other people together and you will find everything you need needed me ministering to you, washing your feet, taking mm -hmm. care of you. Mm -hmm. That's the fullness. And that's the invitation that's he gave me. That's the, what he gave me a year ago and that's what he's been walking me into. And to get lower still, he took everything away. Mm -hmm. You know, like the church community has died for the most part, other than we're doing this prayer meeting on Sunday nights, mm -hmm. he's taken everything away through sabbatical to a place of rest mm -hmm. because I didn't know how to rest. And now I'm learning to rest in him in ways I never knew before and finding him at my feet every day. Today, this That's is good. all I have. That's good. We're at, at today, here he is ministering to me. Less is more. Yeah. And this is the nature of the kingdom. In order to wash the feet of others as Jesus washed mine, there is a humility that I can't produce, but we can, the Father and I together, mm -hmm. on a daily journey. Let me show you how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let me show you how to do this today. Yeah. You have a difficult neighbor. You have a difficult colleague. You have a difficult boss. Let's do this together. How are we going to wash the feet of your boss today? And it starts with letting him washing us first. Right. It does. It really, if you follow the progression backwards, when he said, go and do this, what I've done to you, go and do this to others. The progression is Jesus did it to them first, and they accepted it. Yeah. Peter fought against it. He's like, no, this is the way it has to work. Go back farther, right? Where did Jesus 
What did it say about Jesus before he washed their feet? He knew where he came from. He knew who he belonged to. And he knew where he was going. And so from that place, he stripped off everything and washed their feet. Again, he was living out of the fullness of who he was with nothing to gain. And he gave himself away to them. And from that, and they had to receive it. Their part was to receive what yeah. he was giving. And when they did, now they had, they were living out of the overflow of that. Yes. And, and, and essentially, Jesus says, you can't do that. You, you, you can't become humble and serving and loving in the kingdom of God. You can't be a part of me unless you let me. Yeah. Humble myself before you and love you and wash you. It's just so, I'm still contemplating yeah. all the ramifications for me and then learning how to go outside and and do the hike with with God. Yeah, and that's the, that's the key, with God. See, and here's the difference. Pride says, I'm going to do things for God. Exactly. And humility says, I'm going to do things That's with God. My whole God. life was doing things for God. Yeah. To please Him. And let's look, go back to that for a moment, to the past. We said, this is where we live. The only place we have is the present. It's a gift from God. That's why it's called the present. We don't have the future or the past. Those are always God's realm. We, we often grasp for those things. So looking back, here's what you can have. Like, what we're always after is to see God where he is, right? The whole point is like, show me where you're working, God, and I will join you in that work. God is still working in our past. He was always there. And we, we may have missed it, and we can't change it, that we missed it. But what we can do is go back and ask him, show me where you were in my past. Where were you working? Like, just like right now in the present, where are you working in my present? Where were you working in my past? Because even though we can't change the past, having a God's perspective changes our view of the past, which changes us. Really, our perspective is everything. And so here's the humility, and here's how your past becomes uh, whole, how you become whole in reconciling with the past is all of those times where you missed God. You get to go and ask him, God, show me where you were. And then you can see he was always there washing your feet. He was always there ministering to you. He was always there loving you. And that heals the past. And that reconciles it with us where we are in the present. And then from that place, we can ask him, where are you working in my future? Mm -hmm. Show me when the time comes. And then we can right. stay in the present. Right. Very good. And thank you, Chris, for your time. Glad to do it. Glad to be here. And it wasn't a project. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I definitely didn't feel that way. Good. It was a pleasure to have you back. Good. Thanks, Kurt. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.